This is New York's Asset Protection Roundtable with Ted Alatsis of Alatsis Law Firm. Our mission at Alatsis Law Firm is to assist you with the three pillars of protection, preserving your assets, providing you help, and protecting your future. Welcome in to New York's Asset Protection Roundtable, a three pillars of protection program. He is Ted Alatsis, attorney and counselor at law at the Alatsis Law Firm in Brooklyn, New York. You can find them all on at alatsislawfirm.com. I am Ben George, and got a good show for you today. We're back into the mailbag to answer your estate planning questions. We'll do that here in just a minute, Ted. But uh, how's everything going for you? Still doing great. Uh, summer's here, and we're enjoying the warm weather here in Brooklyn. Hot everywhere right now, so we just got to kind of power through and uh, get to the fall when that crisp, cool weather returns once again. But this episode will be coming out mid-August um, when you're listening to this, and I don't know if you know, but August 13th is National Filet Mignon Day, and you're surrounded by some wonderful steakhouses in Brooklyn and Manhattan, and I'm just curious what the, the best steak you've ever had was. Oh, with, without question, without naming the name of the establishment, there's a place here in Brooklyn that's world famous for its uh, its steak, and it's really just a, a spectacular uh, presentation, spectacularly prepared steak so good that i had raved about it for so many years that when my my daughter graduated elementary school i offered her the opportunity to select whatever restaurant she wanted to go to for her graduation and she specifically selected that that restaurant (laughs) having never been there uh for our for her graduation lunch and um it is by far the um head by head and shoulders the best steakhouse in 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 the country um fantastic place old school uh, just you know, slab of meat in the middle of a hot plate hmm. presented in uh, in such a way. It's just phenomenal, just absolutely phenomenal steak. So she was what, like twelve when she picked that steak? Uh, Somewhere in there? Yeah, I get. I, yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. What, yeah. what I'm curious what what she orders when she goes to the steakhouse. Was she caught off guard because maybe her usual uh, selections weren't on the menu? No, she 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 knew to order steak. Okay. There, there was no, yeah, look, the choices are, you know, steak for one, steak for two, steak for three, <laughs> steak for five, you know, that, that's the, those are the, those are the choices. It wasn't really a, there really wasn't a, a, you know, a wide variety of, uh, of selections. So, um, but uh, yeah, she enjoyed it. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I just love how kids pick up on things like that, right? That you talked about it so much that, that she, uh, she yep. wanted that for her celebration dinner. So that's, that's wonderful. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's begin things with the legal ease of the day. We do this uh, from show to show to kind of get into maybe a, uh, some jargon or maybe a term or something you've heard potentially as you've done some research on estate planning, but maybe want to Get it cleared up a little bit. So we like to kind of d- dig into uh, the definitions a little bit and have Ted explain it for us. So the legalese of the day today is limited power of attorney versus the general power of attorney. What's the difference here, Ted? Okay, so let's start with first with what is a power of attorney you know, to begin with, right? A power of attorney is a document where uh, the principal, who's the person who's delegating the power, delegates certain powers to an agent, right? And that agent is the, is the person who is empowered to you know, stand in the shoes of the the person who delegated the power. Now, a general power of attorney is a broadly designed document that gives broad powers to that agent um, without real guidance, without real um, specificity, um, and is generally used, no pun intended, to cover any and all scenarios or as many scenarios as possible. Um, a limited power of attorney is 
used in limited circumstances. So you're putting limitations on that agent and what they can do with regards to the power you're 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 granting them. So you can be very specific. You can you know make it specific to a house purchase or sale, or you can make it very specific to a certain type of transaction. Um, so that limitation limits the authority so that they don't nest so that the agent is not empowered with doing things over and above what it is that you're specifically delegating to them. So that that's essentially the difference. Okay, very good. Our legalese of the day. Again, if you have questions about that or anything we talk about today, again, you can log on alatsislawfirm.com. While you're there, download their free legal guides. Very helpful. And you can also schedule a consultation right there through the website as well. Again, alatsislawfirm.com. All right, diving into the mailbag today on the podcast, we'll start off with a question from Victoria, who says, I have a very extensive jewelry collection. Some pieces are very rare and valuable, but none of my children want them. What can I do with them? I want to make sure that even if the children don't want to keep them, they don't accidentally throw them away or sell them at a price much cheaper than they are worth. I don't think my family knows how valuable my collection is, and I don't want them taken advantage of. Victoria, that's a that's a great question. And, I, I you know, interestingly enough, we, we get questions like this uh, often. Families often figure out how to divide personal property. And we call things like jewelry and, you know, um, collections and China and things like that. That's personal property that people retain. And, um, you know, oftentimes parents agonize over, you know, who's going to get, you know, my silverware, who's going to get my jewelry, who's going to get my watch. Um, And then, you know, the kids just kind of leave it to themselves to figure it out. um, You know, oftentimes, despite all that agony that the parents go through. Now, you know, in a circumstance like this, where you have an extensive type of jewelry collection, and you believe that it has significant value. One of the things that, you know, we certainly would recommend is that you're very specific in your plan as to, um, you know, what type of jewelry that you're talking about. So if you have very, you know, fine pieces, collectible pieces, you know, try to be as specific as you can about them. If, um, if you're in a position to do so, by all means, either get some sort of an appraisal and some sort of catalog together so that um, your executor or your trustee is able to uh, verify, you know, the the assets that you're specifically talking about, and then try to provide a very specific intention with what's going to happen and what you want to happen with that jewelry. And if you know you're concerned that the children don't necessarily want them, that at least you provide them with a direction that um, is very specific as to what other alternatives there might be, whether that's you know, liquidating the uh, jewelry, selling it and getting you know fair market value. That's where the appraisal comes in. So at least they've been made aware of what uh, value the jewelry has. Um, or you know, if the alternative is you want to perhaps liquidate it and give it to charity or you know, distribute it in some other way, please be very specific with regards to that. Otherwise, what's going to happen is what you're concerned about, and that is that either they'll just, you know, not treat it with, you know, the type of um, respect you want them to treat it, um, and you know, either, you know, dissipate it, throw it away, get rid of it in such a way so that, um, you know, they don't realize the full value. Is that appraisal something you automatically do with people you work with, Ted, or is that something they need to request specifically to their attorney? It's it's something I, I advise clients to do if they're concerned about, you know, having. Um, jewelry of high value um and and dealing with that particular type of asset 
Um, and that's not just jewelry, but anything else that's collectible. Mm-hmm. If they're concerned about the, the, the um, beneficiaries not being aware of the value that's involved. Um, so that's something I recommend, but it's not something we do automatically for for clients. It's something we, we suggest to clients uh, strongly in, in, in that type of circumstance. Yeah, I can imagine there's probably, you probably work with a number of people that have collections that the normal person probably have no clue the value of, right? But they do and they understand. And it can easily just be, to her point, to Victoria's point, just be kind of sold off for pennies on the dollar because you're so unaware. So appraisals, and, and no matter what the collectible is, right, is uh, it's, it could be very, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly you know, provides a good amount of guidance, at least to the beneficiaries as to, as to what um, what certain things may have in terms of value. Okay, very good. All right. Uh, next question is from Mason, who says, our son is in prison. Is there any way we can leave him an inheritance? What if we die before he gets out? Will the, will the money wait for him? Or is there a time limit before he loses it? That Mason, that's a great question. First of all, you know, I, I'm sorry to hear about your son, and and hopefully, you know, um, you know, he, he gets on the straight and narrow and does and the, does whatever it is that he has to do to to pay his debt, and he's and and he gets out, you know, in a timely fashion. Um, is there any way that you can leave him an inheritance? Well, there are you know lots of different mechanisms, and I think it you know varies from state to state, but certainly, you know, one of the things that I'd be concerned about is you know, the type of offense that he may have had, if there's any kind of civil judgments against him or something of that nature that may um, that may be collected as a result of anything that he uh, would receive as part of his inheritance. So you may want to consider a trust, um, you know, to put whatever assets you, you want to have for him in that in that type of vehicle so as to protect that uh, inheritance from any any potential creditors he may have. Um, and also to you know uh, compensate for the amount of time that he's in. Um, uh, if he's not going to be released um, anytime soon, and, um, and and something were to happen to both of you, you, your wife, um, you know, then um, you know you want to make sure that someone's there to hold on to that for him. Um, and so you want to try to protect that. Uh, there are certain limitations to someone who's been convicted of a crime with regards to. Uh, being an executor or or fiduciary, so there are limitations with regards to that. So you're going to need a third party to to take care of that for him uh, when when he comes out, and to you know to keep it um, locked up so that you know when when and if he he comes out, uh, it'll it'll be there for him. Yeah, so definitely some considerations I would not have thought about there. So interesting question, Mason, and we appreciate you you reaching out to Ted. Again, if you want to get any further information, you can always contact him at 718-233-2903. All right, final question here on the podcast today comes from Gavin. My granddaughter has anxiety and ADHD. She's in her early 20s. I hope she gets better, but right now she cannot hold a job or manage her finances. My attorney asked me to decide when I can give her an inheritance. Should I just assume she will be in better shape in her 30s? Should I restrict it forever? It seems a bit extreme. What do you think? Uh, Gavin, that's a great question. We run into this you know, more and more every single day. Um, you know, More and more children are diagnosed with autism and being on the autistic spectrum every single day. I believe the numbers at present are something like one in every six children is diagnosed with some form of um, autism. Uh, ADHD often falls into that category, and one of those uh, one of those things that you know can can be a problem for a lot of a lot of parents to deal with. Um, you know, certainly the concerns you have are are valid. Um, it's very hard to assume uh, 
that your granddaughter's anxiety and ADHD will, you know, dissipate, abate, um, or, you know, be under control at a certain time, right? It changes from person to person, circumstances change, health conditions change, and that could result in affecting the, um, the ability uh, for your granddaughter to, to manage her finances. So, you know, what we would certainly recommend is is putting some sort of estate plan together that provides for um, the money that you're going to be giving her to be held in some sort of trust um, that can trigger um, a release to her at some point if uh, the trustee in his or her discretion uh, or, you know, subject to certain criteria that you spell out uh, would be able to uh, de- determine that, you know, it, this is an appropriate time to release the totality of the funds to her. Um, alternatively, you could dissipate that over time and give, you know, a distribution to her on an annual basis or some other criteria. Um, and oftentimes what happens is that someone who is suffering from ADHD or has, you know, severe, severe anxiety, that person may also be receiving certain uh, health benefits, government benefits, uh, assistance that um, would be invalidated by the direct distribution to her of of assets. So you want to protect that. So th- those are the types of trusts that we would set up in an estate plan, a supplemental needs or special needs trust to you know set aside that money um, so that they wouldn't lose any of those potential benefits. Or alternatively, just to you know ensure and safeguard that the money isn't dissipated improperly, you know, by by your granddaughter. It's just you know she gets it at a at a timely fashion, uh, managed for her care, so that she's she's able to receive it when when and if she's able to handle it. All right, great question, Gavin. We appreciate everyone that's sending questions for us here on the podcast. If you have anything on your mind, you can always send in your questions at alatzislawfirm.com or just schedule a consultation while you're there. You can begin. Having that conversation on your own with the Alatsis Law Firm and uh, and Ted as well. But if you want to call, that is also available to you at 718-233-2903. All right, some very good questions today and appreciate your responses, Ted, and your insight as always. And we'll do it again soon. Great, Ben. Talk to you soon. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.